I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello? Hello? Podcast Network Asia. I think just prepare yourself financially, regardless of what's your burn rate, like do that modeling of like, can I survive like three months or six months with whatever I save on my own budget? And then you can at least think, oh, I have six months to do this without thinking it's fine. That's another practical advice. This is R. Giladesma. Thank you so much for joining us on this lovely Tuesday evening and still under round two of MECQ. I hope all of you are doing safe and healthy at home. And for those of you who've had the chance to get vaccinated, please do right now. Let's protect ourselves, protect our families, and help our economy get back on track. So again, thanks so much for joining us. Everybody listening, not just here in the Philippines, but all over the world. In fact, our guest tonight... Woke up at the crack of dawn to join me from the States for this interview. Henry Monsonis, good evening. Thanks so much for joining us over here on the show. Now here on the RJ Ledesma podcast, I interview the country's pioneering business personalities and entrepreneurs, and more importantly, learn how they think about business. What are their success secrets that we can all hack into? How they've innovated their own businesses during this pandemic, and of course, what opportunities do they see emerging during this new normal or even in the next normal? Now, is there a business personality or entrepreneur that you would like me to interview here on the podcast? Please do let me know. Drop me a message. We are also live right now on Kumu, CBRC TV, Global Pinas TV, and now the Bounce Back Network. Tonight, just like any other night, a very special guest, and I met him in his previous incarnation when he was still here in the Philippines heading Idea Space. And maybe even a few years back, we both share a common alma mater. We're both green archers. He's from La Salle Sabella, from Green Hills, but many generations apart. Very happy to have him here on the show, and he's got some really great news that he wants to share with us tonight. I have the founder, the co-founder rather, of Plantina. That is Earl Martin Valencia. Earl Martin Valencia. Now, Earl. Yeah, thanks, RJ, for having me in your show. Earl, thanks. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I've seen you also in many incarnations, right? Uh, before. <laughs> so definitely exciting to have you in, in your new podcast. And congratulations for all the success here. Thanks so much. Now, Earl, if you don't mind, let me just read out to the people over here so they understand the gravity of the person that I have here in the show. Sure. So let, allow, me, allow me to stroke your ego just a bit as I uh, talk about a bit more as to her, who Earl Valencia is all about. Now, for those who haven't heard of Plantina, Plantina is an AI and fintech startup that's headquartered in Silicon Valley. And prior to that one, he was a managing director for digital transformation at the Charles Schwab Company. Earl, when he was in the Philippines, helped co-found Cubo. And apparently, if you know Cubo, which is our uh, 
our accelerator, our tech accelerator. We recently had Kat Chan, who currently runs Cubo, here on the show. He also helped found Idea Space for a smart PLDT, which Kachan also heads right now. So it's nice to hear from the person who was behind the scenes for everything else. He also co-founded the National Innovation Center of the Philippines. And at the same time, he was awarded the 10 outstanding young men and women of the country. Now, Earl started off in uh, as a scholar of Bain in UP Diliman and finished his degree in electrical engineering, summa cum laude, from Boston University. He also has a master's in systems engineering from Cornell University and an MBA from the Stanford Graduate School of Business. Now, the really great story as to why I love having Earl here right now is that Earl, you know what? Hot on the heels of the news that just came out, you just received a big wad of cash. Uh, a new set of investors has just come in for you guys. And that is from, a, it's 2.2 million US dollars that came in. Who who put in the money and uh, tell us a bit more about your new partners. Yeah, definitely, right? So I guess to give context, you know, uh, Plantina, as you mentioned, right, is a, a fintech, right? So financial service technology company also fuse off. Yeah, the engine really is artificial intelligence. So it's, they're all buzzwords, right? But I think we're lucky that we got really interesting investors. So generally, it's about probably like Half of it is from Wall Street. Half of it is from Silicon Valley. Uh, a lot of it wow. is ex-entrepreneurs. And then uh, we also have a number of uh, investors from from the Philippines. One is the Impact uh, Impact Fund of Maui Arroyo and also JG Dev, which is the JG Summit's uh, venture capital fund. So we have uh, definitely a lot of very interesting uh, investors for uh, for us. Uh, what, what does it say is that they believe in the... Philippine economy, the fintech industry in the Philippines in particular. But then I think that's that's an interesting thought process, right? I asked actually one of our investors, why did you believe in, in us? And, and actually they said, because we think that the Philippines has a lot of growth potential. Wow. So, so it's, a, that's, it's that's, a, that's, that's pretty encouraging, especially for yeah. us. I mean, right now stuck <laughs> at home in MECQ, like for many of us, all our businesses are almost like a standstill, but they do see the, the, the forest for the trees, I guess, or they see what might happen in the future. Yeah, I think what they're saying is that uh, you know the world, there's, the, the recovery will happen in many different places, right? So, for example, maybe the U.S. will, will recover maybe in the me- medium term. I think the ones that you know didn't have a lockdown, let's say Singapore, Vietnam, and other places, like they recover faster. Maybe China, but then the Philippines, even if it's lagging, imagine that if you bet on the recovery, right? So, I think that's that's a really interesting perspective, and for us, we're lucky that. You know, we we launched. It's funny. Actually, we'll talk about it later. We launched. Uh, we started the company months, like three months or four months, right before this pandemic hit. We didn't know. We didn't know it was gonna hit, right? So, a lot of really scary moments, to be honest, right? You know, during this this journey, this first couple of years. So, but we're lucky that I think we we probably have enough capital in order to to finish this and hopefully after the pandemic. That's great. So, really, I, the way that I look at it. Three months into the pandemic, three months before the pandemic, you guys set up. Then all of, a sudden, all of a sudden, the pandemic hits. But actually, in a way, the silver lining of the pandemic was not only to accelerate, but I guess even help iterate your business model. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, I think so. You know, I mean, just imagine, you know, and I'm sure there's a lot of listeners that you know are always contemplating, is this the right time to start a company? Is it the right time to leave a, a corporate job? Which I did, right? And my co-founder did as well. And... 
you know, we didn't know obviously this thing, you know, this really horrific time would, would happen, right? But yeah, I think the, the pandemic really exposed, I think, a couple of things, right? Like one of it is that what is the needs and what is the needs for our corporations in particular in the Philippines in order to actually digitize, right? Uh, digitize its payments. How can people transact digitally, right? How do you buy digitally? So uh, yeah, that, that kind of accelerated the need in particular for financial service technology like fintech, right? So uh, yeah, so we're a bit lucky that we maybe rode a little bit that wave. Uh, and at the same time, we were not sure if we were going to survive, but we got actually a small set of, of investors, literally right, right in the midst of the pandemic. So we closed an, an investment round last year in May and June, literally like in the middle of this whole thing. And wow. we were so lucky that uh, our investors, you said that yeah, this is maybe a, a big pandemic. We weren't sure where it's going to end, but uh, you know, we'll put in a little money uh, so that uh, you know we'll see where this goes. Obviously, I think nobody really knew that it's going to elongate to like more than one year, right? So, but yeah, I think without that, probably this Pentina dream would would not survive, right? So, so, so that's right. Back in May, June, you also got your what we call the pre-seed round, no? And you raised about seven hundred fifty thousand US dollars. Is that right? That came from Correct. tech stars from five hundred startups. Correct. Wow. Yeah. And then finally, you got 2.2 million more uh, coming in. When I think about it, I mean, off the top of my head, you know, uh, and I just did this in my in my last interview with with Dan uh, Don Pansacola of, of of NextPay, who was my guest prior to you. No, I said, yeah, you know what what it feels like is that it's a big weight lifted off your shoulders because now you're not worried where where the next payment is coming from, right? Or where, where to pay your payroll or get your whatever you need. But at the same time, it's like a larger burden is put on your shoulders right now because you've got other people's money that you have to worry about. How does it feel right now that you've got practically almost, I guess, three to $4 million worth of investors who put money behind you guys? Yeah, I think, you know, it's all about so every time you get a, a round of, of funding, and again, this is not like comes to our pockets or whatnot. This is really to fuel the business, right? The key really here is, you know, how do we get an inch, inch, it's more inches closer to like the dream that you set out for, right? And I think that's the most exciting part about it, right? Like now we probably have enough money to hire more people to accelerate the growth in order to increase, let's say, our users, user base. Uh, in order to serve our merchants better, right? I think those are mm-hmm. the things that we can do a little bit better now. You know, and what does that mean though? Is that we are now expected to grow, to grow probably even beyond my own personal capability as a founder, as an entrepreneur, but I have to also grow myself. I have to grow the team. I have to, you know, grow with my co-founder, like making sure that we are doing the right decisions, right? In order to reach the next milestone, right? Yeah, we'll see. Uh, but, uh, you know, I think at least in this venture game, uh, the key really is not to get distracted by a lot of the funding rounds, but how do you just keep consistent to where you want to be? And I think it's going to be okay, right? I think that's how I, I think about it. Uh, well, I mean, it, it kind of helps you keep you grounded, no? Because if you think yeah. about it, 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 I mean, it's pretty overwhelming to think that you're you're in charge <laughs> of about three point five million dollars to, to to help get this company accelerated, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know that's something that you know. So. One of our investors was very, very nice, right? Like one of our investors slash advisors. He said, take a moment to enjoy and congratulate yourself, right? But then after a week, uh, probably a day or two, uh, then business, the real business starts, right? So it's an interesting like perspective, right? Because a lot of times, you know, for entrepreneurs, uh, you know, we get the investment. We're like, oh, wow, this is awesome. And then you can kind of, 
you know, make that your success rate, right? But, but I think the key is, yeah, you have to think that, yeah, this is other people's money. How do you make, make sure it's towards of it? At the same time, yeah, one of our investor advisors also said something, which is a very intriguing one, which is, you know, at least we raised one of the largest seed rounds in the history of the Philippines, right? I'm sure there's going to be Whoa. a lot, lot more Whoa. after, right? And he said, you know, your success is the national pride of the country, right? So you have to make this even more serious versus just the investor yeah. money, right? Because if you if you succeed, let's say scaling up a company beyond the Philippines and doing doing well, then imagine what you could inspire, right? And I was like, oh my gosh, like this is so much pressure, <laughs> yeah, right? So uh, so that's another thing that we are also looking at. In fact, we just talked to our team last week to say, yeah, we 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 did this not just for for us for investors, but we're lucky that we could showed this that the, the country actually got the spotlight even a little bit, right? Because we got featured probably in a number of global press the past right, two weeks. Right. And yeah, we got inquiries from everywhere around the world uh, talking about the Philippines, not just talking about our company, which is pretty exciting. That's fantastic. So it's sort of like, you know, aside from just the benefit of the cash, it's really sort of like the, I, I would say not just the psychological, but the sort of nationalistic return that it has for you, being even there for the States. Because actually, if you think about it. Yeah, 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 exactly, right? And then our team is in the Philippines. My co-founder is a Filipino-American, right? So obviously, we wanted to be in the Philippines, right? You know, I think that's the key. But we, we, we are just basically here in the U.S. and we can take advantage of both ecosystems. But really, you know, we are a Filipino-founded company, right, uh, in the heart. And I think that's really our, our, our thought process, right? Like, how do we get the best technology of Silicon Valley, right, the, the contacts, let's say, of Wall Street? But then mm-hmm. how do we then have the Filipino DNA, right, to hopefully expand and do well in the world? I think that's really what we're trying to, to, to espouse, right? And having said that, there's a lot of people like Carl DeVos is, is sending some comments right now. Carl, I'm going to get your questions because they're really great now. What I want to ask is that, you know, especially for the people coming in right now, I mean, people from Startup PH are listening. People who are putting up startups are also listening. And they're just wondering, you know, how did you, how did you ever even get to this first round of, of getting 750K? How did you prepare for that? What did you have to do? I mean, who did you have to talk to just to, to get things in place? Or was it something that you were already familiar with because you already did run Idea Space over here and you did uh- work with Charles? Yeah, that's what I thought, right? So, and to be honest, right, like I, I might build, let's say, Idea Space, which is a company, which is, a, uh, I guess, an accelerator investment company, you know, might be a corporate executive before. But I'm still like everyone else who probably dreamt of building a company, a first time founder, right, of a startup. So, this mm-hmm. is an interesting, like, very humbling experience, right? right? Because so, you know, I thought like, oh, you know what? I know a lot of people. I, I, I know a lot of things. I have like, uh, you know, a lot of credentials. But, you know, even to get that first uh, amount of money, like we had to talk to so many people, right? Like, and a lot of rejections, right? From, you know, different programs, a lot of rejections from different investors, right? So we were always worried. Like, in fact, that's what me and my co-founder did, which is we had to map out like when our personal funds will run out that we just have to like quit <laughs> It was really, so, really, really scary. So really, you, you, you do have a point. Ah, so it was scary. It was scary for you because assumption it doesn't sound scary. I mean, because we just hear the nice, we just hear the nice stuff. What comes out in the ah. news, but people don't know the the kind of stress that you're getting behind the scene. Uh, can I left my day job, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, I mean, you know, especially right, mid career founders, right? Like you know, I have two kids, right? I yeah, you know, I have uh, you know, 
I have basically these other things, right? Like it's not just me and I can feed my kids ramen noodles, right? Which is yeah. like the quintessential, like start a founder. You can, <laughs> yeah. live, you can live on ramen noodles. You can live in lucky me, right? Like, no, right? Like at least for me, I can't do that, right? I have a responsibility as a father, right? <laughs> to make sure that my kids don't actually starve. Right. Yeah. So I had enough, uh, at least uh, I tried to save for many years, right. As a corporate person, like just to like, at least get a little bit of runway. And that's why me and my co-founder had this honest conversation. I was like, how much money do you have <laughs> until we have to like basically throw in the towel. And I remember this, we were in the, we were doing a whiteboard and we had like a skull and crossbones and say, this is like the end. Right. So we just literally hustled. We said, we got to like, just find the money from anywhere. And you know, kudos to our, our pre-seed investors or angel investors, you know, 500 startups, you know, Vietnam who put in some money and obviously Techstars who was our accelerator. Like they believed in us literally in the midst of this whole, you know, the beginning of the pandemic, which is obviously a scary moment for the world. And they said, you know what, let's try to, you know, take a chance on you. And I think that's something that we are super grateful for. And obviously we had like our, our corporate partners that, you know, at the time, we're also unsure, right? Um, you know, if we were even going to survive, but uh, we had your know, 7-Eleven tried to pilot with us and then, you know, smart kind of uh, closely after kind of, you know, at least kept on kept on the conversation going, which uh, we're lucky that we launched with both of them, you know, in October last year. Fantastic. Uh, if you don't mind me asking, what is the scariest part for you when you were doing everything? What was what, that literally where you could feel your balls here in your throat when you were trying to put up the startup? Yeah, so you know, putting up the startup is always, a, a, I guess, a rosy type, right? Because you have so much dreams, there's no constraint, right? Like, yeah, and, and to be honest, if it's just you and co- co- your co-founder, you're only responsible for yourself, right? So it's like, oh, you know what? Like, enough money so my kids can eat, let's say, for a couple of months, right? Same thing with my co-founders that you know, there's enough runway for for a couple of months. It's when you hire your first employee. For me it gets scary, right? Because now you're not just responsible for you, you're responsible for someone else and their livelihood. And they also quit their jobs, most likely, right? Like, it's not like they're all fresh grads, right? And even for fresh grads, they probably, you know, declined the job to work for you. So for me, that's always like the scariest moment is that when you take in investor money, that's a scary moment because you realize like, oh my gosh, like, it's not my company anymore, right? Like, I cannot just like, take my time, right, in order for this to grow. The other one is that the first hire, actually for me, was the scarier one. And now obviously with more hires, right, it's just a bit more scary, is that we always have to continue to like meet our metrics, to grow, to get investors, to make the business successful because the livelihoods of these people and their careers, you know, are, are there. And I think we totally, we totally like appreciate them and trusting their careers, at least with us. And hopefully we make them grow with us, right? And I think that's our philosophy. Hello, this is Agnes Ravasho, CEO at MDI Novaria Technologies. Come listen to My Digital Impact, where I talk about customer experience obsession with fellow business leaders, about relatable moments on customer excellence, and teachable experiences on customer service. My Digital Impact is available wherever you listen to your podcasts, powered by Podcast Network Asia. Check us out after listening to this one. Well, good luck to you because, I mean, this is a great thing and it's a scary thing at the same time. So um, we, we wish you the best of luck. But before I get into that, no, um, for many people watching this here right now, 
this might be the first time they're hearing about Plantina. Now, I know you can explain Plantina, but maybe the best way to go about this is to think about it as an entrepreneur again when we ask the pro- when we ask the question, what problem were you trying to solve when you thought of Plantina, right? And did you leave first your job before putting up Plantina or were you at your former job then you put up Plantina? Tell us a bit more about the journey. Yeah, 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 definitely, right? So... So maybe we'll approach it kind of two different ways, right? So for me, you know, I was reflecting. So I, I was lucky that I, you know, the past four years after I left the Philippines, I got exposed to really the, what I call is the, the OG or like the original fintech players uh, in the world, right? In, 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 the, in the US in particular, right? So the first one, right after I left Smart Idea Space, Kubo, I worked at the, it's called the hedge fund, right? Which is a, kind of a, a specific like investment fund but they're basically somewhat run by computers, right? So it's not like someone trading here and there and making decisions. Like they codified all the decision-making process into, let's say, a computer, right? An algorithm. So I saw like, oh, wow, like I wonder if this will work. But now they're like the largest investment hedge fund in the world, right? Which is called Bridgewater. And I was in the data team. So I was like, wow, like I wonder if this is being done in the Philippines. So that already kind of percolated my mind, right? And then when I went to San Francisco and worked for Charles Schwab, which is one of the largest, it's called investment brokerage houses, which is where people buy and sell stocks, right? So you know, if people want to buy and sell stocks in the Philippines, you can do that. But in the world, Charles Schwab is one of the biggest. And uh, Charles Schwab actually is a person. It's not a, not a made up name, right? So Charles Schwab built this company 40 years ago and said, you know, I want to democratize investing for many by actually using computers and disrupting Wall Street so that there's no one that just makes a percentage commission on trades. I was like, oh my gosh, like this is so interesting. So I realized that computers in particular, right, actually can disrupt the banking industry if we want to, right, and make a better customer experience. So that's kind of where, where I came from. And obviously, you know, I, I also, you know, uh, grew up in the Philippines, um, you know, again, went to Isabel. And then when I went to UP, I realized that there's this, uh, unfortunate reality, right, uh, in, in the Philippines, where a lot of industries are catering to the top 5% of the, the country in particular, right? You know, financial services also, to be honest, one of the formal financial services, right? So the key for us is how do we get the next 95% to participate in a formal financial service economy, right? So that's kind of where me and my co-founder, Kevin, uh, who, were, who was actually my classmate in Stanford, we had a different program. He's, he was in the engineering machine learning program. I was in business school. And we took many different paths, right? So I went, obviously, to Cisco. I went to Smart. And I went back to the U.S. He ended up working for a startup named Bump. It's an app that you bump the phones together. And then, you know, it was one of the big iPhone apps uh, maybe 10 years ago. And then Google acquired them. So he was in Google for the past couple of years. And then he told me that, you know, I went to the Philippines on an exchange program called PhilPro, one of these uh, ambassador in the Philippines program. And, you know, he was... Sorry, sorry. That's sort of like the same program that Roland Ross went on as well. Before. Uh, yeah, yeah. Roland, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where they're sent over here to, you know, explain yeah, exactly. Phil Lamps are exposed yeah, to... Yeah, Phil, Phil Lamps are exposed. Yeah. Exactly. And then he was telling me that during his PhilPro experience, like he... He was you know, walking around, right, the, the streets of you know, Tagig and Tondo and all these things. And he was like, how can I, how can I, as a machine learning engineer at Google, make a dent you know, mm-hmm. in the lives of these people that I'm talking to? And when he was talking to someone in, I wasn't sure, I think it's Tondo. He told me that 
hey, um, what type of transaction the history, which is kind of an interesting question, right? Like, what type <laughs> of transaction history do you have as a Sari Sari store vendor? And it's like not even a Sari Sari store. He said it was in the street median, the middle, right? The nagabenta ng Coke sa gitna. So he said, like, uh. oh, okay, interesting. So I can give you this person. He said, like, he handed Kevin, my co founder, a whole bunch of receipts of transactions. So he said, "Oh wow, actually this is not just a financial service problem. This is a this is a data problem. Imagine if I understand how much people transact, then I can unleash credit for them, right? So imagine that I had this like ethos of like how can we just formalize financial services through data and technology? And then I have Kevin who's one of the 10 Filipino engineers in the entire Google, right? That's a data expert thinking about the same thing almost at the same time." And we said, you know, how do we just like join forces in order for us to build this together? And yeah, we had a lot of conversations. And yeah, so Kevin took the bolder step, right? I think early 2019, he said, yeah, I'm going to leave Google. And actually how it worked is that I, I'm going to advise you because I'm like the Philippine guy, right? In San Francisco. So I talked to him, blah, blah, blah. And then we just kept on talking about this. And then afterwards, you know, we just said like, you know what? I think let's do this together. And yeah, so after that, I just basically said, you know what? I'm going to leave this banking job and and i have to credit two people who helped me right so one is an investor called peng ong who is a big investor in singapore he said this is the golden age of southeast asia like you have to come back home right and i was like oh wow most people tell me to stay here and you told me to you tell me to come back to southeast asia and the other one is dado banatao who sat me down with his wife and told me the practical things of how to quit the job, right? So he told me, I left my job during my 30s as well. Obviously, now he's very successful. And his wife coached me on how to tell my wife that I was going to leave a corporate <laughs> job, right? Because apparently, it's not, a, it's not just you, right? Again, this is an interesting thing, right? As an entrepreneur, you have family, your parents, right? Your If you have kids, your your wife, right? Like you have a whole ecosystem around you that kind of have to align that you're going to do this, yeah, right? Yeah, that's right. Or else it's tough. Or else every day you're going to think like, oh my gosh, like, am I... Something happens. Oh my gosh. So yeah, so Maria Banatao, like, you know, and, and Dado, like literally sat me down for almost an hour and a half, probably even two hours and said, This is exactly what you say, which is really awesome, right? So I'm pretty lucky that they gave me this guidance because I was so scared. As someone who left in generally like a, probably one of the, you know, at least my pinnacle of my corporate life, right? Like I was managing director at like a large bank in the US, which is pretty awesome. And then basically like, you know, for your salary to go to zero, you're like, oh my gosh, what am I doing? So every day you have this like, doubt, like, what am I doing with my life? Like, is this exactly how I was trained? And as Filipinos, at least my parents, right? Like most Filipino parents, uh, they're, they're always scared, right? They're like, oh my gosh, like, are you, are you taking the safe path, right? Like, are you, are you conservative? And this is like the total opposite of what I think I was trained to do, right? So interesting times. But, but yeah, it was an exciting time also for me because I, I realized that there's, this is something I had to do, right, for myself. And, and that told me something that was like, kind of jolted my mind, right? Which is a lot of people talk to him. A lot of people talk to him about starting a company, but very few people actually do, right? So he said, Earl, I hope that you're not one of those people, right? And it's like, if you turn, you know, he's like, how old are you? I say, 30. He's like, if you turn like 40, 50, and you've been talking to me about for 10 years that you're going to start a company, 
and you're not still doing it, like I'm just not gonna talk to you anymore. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, okay. <laughs> so that's that, that's something that I think jolted me, right? Which is true, right? A lot of us dream, right? Of, of like, you know what? We're gonna do something someday. We're gonna help the country. We're gonna do some. We're gonna build a, a company. You might even have a co-founder with you, and, and then at some point we're like, oh, mate, I, I, maybe next time, right? And and for me. I said either I do it now or maybe I won't do it ever again. Obviously, I didn't know a pandemic was going to hit, but I think that's what's my mentality. Right? Well, what did what did so when you guys you talked to Dadana, you you brought together your partner. What did you eventually say? What would Plantina? I mean, everything was percolating, right? You got you, it, you the, the the germ of the idea came together. What did you think Plantina would initially be when you guys sat down and said, okay, this is what Plantina is going to be? Yeah, I, I think we, we recognize two big problems, right? One problem, actually, the bigger problem is access to financial services, right? And then after that, it's like, how do you give people access to credit in particular and formal, fair credit, right? Mm-hmm. Because in, in a place like the Philippines, there's two things. So I realized, you know, when I was in, in, in the U.S., and I'm sure your listeners who's in other places, right? Like, there is this thing called the credit bureau, Right. That's right. So literally, you can type in your ID, right, your social security number or ID in other places, and then it will output like what's your credit score or your risk score, right? And in the Philippines, because there's a lack of formal financial services, in particular credit card access in the country and credit access in the country, then people don't have this data to actually give them an assessment: should they be given a loan or not? Right. So what happens is that there's just a lot of predatory lenders. They could be apps that are predatory, right? There could be physical people that are predatory that give like crazy interest rates that make people, to be honest, you know, baon sa utang, right? Which is like five, six, five, yeah. six. The usurious, very usurious. Oh. Yeah, usur- yeah, usurious, right? So you're like, oh my gosh, like this is so unfair, right? And this is sad for me, right? Because sometimes, you know, the people who need it the most are take advantage the most, right? And I think we can solve this because we've seen this before, right? In the West, like there is systems where if you actually organize data about people, then you can give them a risk score. And then if you give them a risk score, they can give them credit, right? So Plantina, from the start, we thought we'll do it first with Sari Sari stores, but we pivoted to the consumer side. And now we can give access to credit for people without credit cards, right? By building basically a kind of an alternative credit score partnering with our merchants, right? Like a 7-Eleven or smart in the transactions, right? And then giving them basic credit for the everyday needs that they have, right? So now it's obviously groceries, convenience stores, it's telco credit, you know, it could be travel in the future. We're going to think about like other categories, maybe it's drugstores, you know, food, fast food, et cetera. So that's what we're trying to do is to kind of think about it that maybe in the future, if we're successful, people can build their credit Starting with 100 pesos, right? And hopefully with us, with, with our 100 peso platform, five years from now, they can qualify for a home loan, right? Because of their Plantina journey with us. And, and that's something that we are inspired about, right? Because now we can unleash the whole population of the Philippines to kind of take advantage of formal financial services. But maybe in the history of the Philippines, we're probably one of the first people that you can build your credit score with 100 pesos and building up over time, right? So, so that means eventually the banks need to have access to the credit scoring that you have so that they can access from the yes, formal yes, yeah. lending and institutions. Also, and also, you know, and this is also another interesting part, right? Like this because of our bigger mission, right? Somewhat volunteered, right? To, to the government that say, we're going to actually give 
our history to you, right? Our, called the CIC, right? The Credit Information Company. And we'll mm -hmm. give the history to you so that other banks in the future can see your history, right? Okay. Our history. So we, we also are doing that. And also if, if the banks, obviously, we're going to think about how will they access the score either through the CIC or directly through us. So that's something we are, are looking at. So how can they walk me through the process? Let's say, for example, if somebody's going to access Plantina, I think right now you're using 7-Eleven as a platform, right? Uh, as one of your partners. Yes. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So think about it. So maybe how I want to explain what, what it is, right? So uh, a user, right, can download the app in the Google Play Store for now. Uh, I think we prioritize Google Play. At some point, we'll have iOS, right? And if they start out, let's say, with a small amount, so they come in there, uh, as long as there's no fraud, they get verified, they give their government ID, their selfie, right? And we have a financial literacy quiz, three or four questions to just basically say, do you understand what interest is? Do you understand, right? You know, 500 pesos, what's 5%? Like just basically basic questions so that we just understand that are they ready to even think about the loan, right? So I think that's that's one part. And then afterwards, after the verification, which only takes about five to seven minutes for the entire end-to-end -end process, we then give you like the you know the menu uh, of like this initial loans, right? So now it's a one hundred peso smart credit, and then it's a seven eleven one hundred peso click credit, right? Mm -hmm. And literally instantly, if you're already pre-qualified, number one, maybe already have a score on you, or number two, this is chance for you to start building the Plantina score. When you click on it, will literally automatically disperse either to your seven eleven click wallet or to smart, literally directly to your smart prepaid phone, right? Uh, 100 peso credit. And then you just pay 14 days after using the popular wallets, you know, Gcash, uh, GrabPay, or any any 7-Eleven throughout the Philippines. So it's pretty simple, right? Think about it like, oh, it just seems so simple, but obviously it's complicated in the back end. But for the customer, it's just like five minutes, get a loan, pay in 14 days after you repay, We'll assess, do we increase you, et cetera, right? So you basically build up your credit, both history and also the credit limit over time. And then at some point, we have customers now taking out 30-something loans. Uh, their credit limit's 1,000 plus pesos, right? Some of them are 5,000 pesos. So it's really exciting that we have, I think now, our, you know, I think we have more than 30,000 downloads since we launched in October. So we're just growing, uh, you know, quite rapidly. And we're hoping that we get more and more customers on board and merchants on board, I think, uh, yeah, we just launched with a Goda yesterday too. So wow. um, pretty exciting. Yeah. So when you vet, when you actually vet the people who can get loans from Plantina, I remember there was an app before I, I saw my show called Bright Ideas. It doesn't exist, exist anymore where they could get loans based on your social media profile, right? Like they would check, the, check that one out. That, that, does that exist in Plantina? Is there something to that equivalent? How do you check for people who have you know, no background? What databases do they look at? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think the key really here is, you know, what alternative, I guess, areas that we can look at, right? Maybe it's your, you know, something to do with like your loyalty programs, right? So you give us access to some loyalty programs and say, hey, by the way, like, maybe look at my loyalty program and see if there's something there. Or maybe give you access to, let's say, some parts of uh, a phone. Again, we're not also, you know, we're very big on data privacy, by the way, right? So that's another thing to kind of assess my score. But really, the, the truth really is, can you then build your score for something small and then grow over time is, I think, the magic that we're trying to uncover, right? So in other parts of the world, when you're young, you're given a credit card, not because you want to spend it so that you can build your credit history. And that's the same like mentality that we're trying to do uh, here. So I think that's, that's something that I think we're inspired about and building all these data sources so that at some point, again, in the future, 
will say, okay, RJ Ledesma, right? Here's your like ID, and then all of a sudden, a Plantina score will come to you, and you know maybe that will qualify you for like other financial services like a motorcycle loan, auto loan, etc., etc. Right? Yeah. And, and right now, where does Plantina get the money to loan to these people? Is are you just is it just passing through you, or are you the one loaning yourself? So we are the one that that loan itself because. One thing we realized about banks in the Philippines in particular, right? And, and bankers in particular in the world, right? Like you can build a score, but if you don't actually put your money where your mouth is, then your score is, you know, is that credible enough, right? You can let other people, other people's data fuel your score. But at least for us, at least at the beginning, right? Like how do we prove ourselves by actually using our own business's money in order to prove our, our model out, right? And I think we're getting now inbound requests from other lenders, right? So uh, debt financers and others to kind of fund our, our loan book. So it's really exciting because, you know, maybe at some point we don't need to use our own money. It would be other people's money. And I think that's probably the next transition point of Plantina for us to grow. Yep. Which also means we know where the 3.3 million will also be used. Where part ah. of the money will be used to be probably yeah. help. To help, yeah. loan, to help loan them because I guess put your money where your mouth is literally uh, yes. for this one. I, I guess <laughs> no, that's that's at least that's at least how I see it. No, correct, uh, correct, correct. Yeah, and I think that's the you know we, we're always honest with our investors. That's another thing for for all the entrepreneurs, right? Like, do not embellish the story, right? Like, if there is negative things or challenging things about your risk about your company, you expose that to investors, and if there's opportunities, you expose that, right? Obviously. We always don't talk about the vision, but we always talk about like what are the things that's hard today that we're gonna figure out, right? Or we're gonna try to figure out and we'll not stop and not sleep until we figure out, right? I think that's that's what we tell our investors. And I think for them, they just basically assess and say, Yeah, this seems like a logical risk that I can take and and, and the opportunity that I can have, right? Uh, imagine if we can unleash formal financial services to 20, 30 million people in the Philippines, 40 million. I mean, imagine that. And then if we go to another country, another 20, 30, 40 million, like that's changing the world, right? That's kind of what, what we're dreaming of. Wow. And having said that, I just hope that, you know, people who are listening here right now got to appreciate really that, that sort of entrepreneurial journey that, you know, there's no experience that actually goes to waste because you picked up everything from from UP to your jobs. Yeah, your yeah. first jobs in the States and everywhere else. I mean, everything came in, came into play to develop this one. And that's, you know that, that's, that's how entrepreneurship point. works. Yeah, that's a good point, right? Because, you know, I was telling, I just judged some, uh, I guess, UP research projects last week, right? It actually was with Georgia Flores, who was one of your guests, uh, who was the co-founder of Plug and Play. Someone told me, like, you know, why are you spending so much of this time, let's say, to do things for UP or whatnot? And I told I thought, oh, I say, but I was telling someone that, you know, UP fundamentally changed my life, right? And I was like, why is that? Because it's kind of where I realized very quickly that two things, right? Like, number one is that there are two Philippines, right? Like, there's the Philippines of people that are, you know, getting formal financial services, right? They don't need, they don't need a scholarship to go to UP, right? Which is probably one of the most inexpensive, yeah, I think now it's what? At least when I was there, it's one hundred dollars per semester, right? Like yeah. I think five thousand pesos per semester, something like that, right? But then I had classmates who needed a scholarship to go to UP, and they were telling me instead of you know me thinking about you know what movie will I use, so I, let's go to SM and watch a movie. Is what I tell my blockmates, right? And then some of my classmates said no, no, because my dad's a jeepney driver. I got to help him, right? Like my dad's a taxi driver. My dad's a fisherman. Like I need to to help him or her, right? I can even realize like, wow, 
But the, the second lesson I had was these people who don't go to movies in the weekend and, and have a lot more responsibility at a younger age. And I went to UP, I was like 16, right? And they're probably 15, 16 as well. They got higher scores than me in engineering. So I realized very quickly is that in the Philippines, right? Like if we just give people a chance to yeah, succeed, yeah. then they can unleash the potential of not just the UP students, but imagine that you know there's millions of, of these really smart, high potential people. So for example, our hashtag is unlock your potential because of our philosophy, our core value that we want to unlock everyone's potential uh, in emerging markets, right? Starting with the Philippines. So that's really our, our ethos, right? And why we built this company and, and we our belief, right? That, you know, everyone can build up their potential uh, responsibly, right? And, and hopefully we'll unlock that for them. Uh, and so yeah. Plantina actually came from a song called The Table of Plenty, right? It's a Christian song, right? Catholic Christian song basically says that, you know, we want to welcome everybody to the table of plenty, right? Uh, and then... <laughs> People, obviously, Filipinos would know that na is a Filipino term. I actually asked, like, what does na really mean? It's like, right now, right? <laughs> like, plenty. So, plenty, na. plenty so, na. so obviously, in, 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 you know, if you talk to investors that are not Filipino, you're like, Plentina. Oh, that nice. sounds nice. Like, Plentina. But then, pag Pinoy, Plentina. Plentina. Diba? Plentina. Uh, plentina. Yeah. <laughs> you know, oh, sorry, your name also reminds me of the name ni Akudin, diba? From the founder, I forget the name. Who's the founder of Akudin again? Uh, his name escapes me right now. But um, yeah. when, when they when they came to the company, it sounds nice, Akudin, but actually it just meant Akudin. Ah! <laughs> so, yeah, so it's so, always we love this, right? Like Pinoy. Yeah, so, so Philippine Pinoy. play of names coming into the into the startup uh, startup community. Now, we're talking about um, unlocking or unlocking your potential, no? One of these things that I, I, I was saying earlier on was that you have the reverse, reverse American dream where you left the States, you came back here. From here, you went back to the States, but you're helping over here. So you're sort of like, it's just it's a back and forth of that one. But then, and it's what, when you talk about unlocking the potential, people might think that, you know, why did you come home from the States and, and, and work over here when you could have, I mean, you had an engineering degree, you could have had a good job, but initially you came back here to the Philippines uh, many years ago and helped set up things like uh, idea space. What moved you to come back here in the first place many years ago? And that's really a good a good question, right? Because I, I'm very lucky, right? That probably very few people have done this double round trip now, probably even triple round <laughs> trip, right? Which is like Philippines, US, Philippines, US, Philippines, US, right? All these things. But the first time, so yeah, I was, what, late 20s. I just got I just got married probably a year and a half before think about moving to the Philippines. We were, we were pregnant with our second child. And I ended up coming back to the Philippines because of the wedding of my best friend, uh, Justin. And when I was there, you know, I got a text message and say, you know what, this, this guy named MVP wants to meet with you. And I was like, okay, I don't know really who this guy is, right? But let's go meet with him. And I asked my friends, like, oh, yeah, who's this MVP person? It's like, oh, yeah, I think he's pretty pretty famous. I said, like, okay, cool, I'm, I want to meet him. And this was kind of just, you know, PLDT for specific speaking, right? Like, which is pretty amazing. So when I went MVP, it's like, this guy's going to go from Hong Kong to meet with you. I was like, oh, I, I want to meet him. I mean, it's really nice, right? And yeah, the wedding was a Saturday that I met MVP on a Sunday. And, you know, we talked about basketball, right? Which is his favorite uh, kind of sport. Of course, sport. of course. And then after that, he asked me one question, like, Earl, like, what's your dream, right? I was like, oh, my dream is to become the USC secretary, right? Which is kind of 
to be honest, my dream as well until now. But at that time, it's like, it's like what, why do you as a secretary? This is the first time I've heard about this. This is crazy. And I said, like, you know, because I want some point someday I can fund all the best ideas of the Philippines, like my classmates in UP, right? That they had really good science engineering ideas. It's like, I don't think they'll ever come up with actually building this because no one's funding them. He's like, oh, wow, interesting. And we had basically probably a three to four hour conversation of potentially how to build the Silicon Valley of the Philippines, right? And I said, because I ran the innovation program of Cisco, Cisco globally, right? And, you know, he told me right after a meeting, you know what, Earl, if you do come home to the Philippines, and I wish you do, I will figure out how to fund this idea of like building out the Silicon Valley of the Philippines, right? Which is an incubator. Because he asked like, a lot of people say it. It's like, how do you do it? And he said, let's build an accelerator. It's like, oh, interesting. And true enough, right before I left <laughs> to the States, 24 hours after the meeting, you know, the head of HR of Smart uh, basically said, you know what, you have an open you know, open job offer to head innovation for smart, right? And tell us when you're ready to come home. And I, I, was, I wow. told I told MVP, I really have two conditions if I come home. One is a report to you. Number two, you got to fund this idea that I we talked about. And he said, yeah, sure, I can do the both. And that's how I got convinced. And and, and he told me another question. It's kind of a dada banana moment, right? It's like, why wait till you're 60 to become DOS secretary where you can do the things you wanted to do even in your 20s. I was like, oh my gosh, like, is this happening to me, right? So I had to convince again my wife and kudos to her, you know. Uh, but nobody, that, but well, there, was, there was no Mrs. Banato yet to give you the, the spiel. No advice, say, yeah. Like, so yeah. I definitely bumbled there, right? Uh, I think it about <laughs> like six months to, to like iteratively like talk about like the pros, the cons. So literally every day, like for six months, like pro, con, pro, con. Because we were in the heart of Silicon Valley, right? Like, I mean, I was in the headquarters of like one of the largest tech companies in the world running global programs in 100 plus countries. Like it's kind of a pretty, it was my dream job right after business school is what, what I say, right? Like, yes, you yes, know, yes. and then for this to come back to the Philippines. But yeah, I mean, just that one last point of MVP, which is like, do you want to wait till 60 to actually do do this, right? And I was like, wow, like, yeah, maybe not, maybe no, right? So that prompted me to just come home to the Philippines and and, and I'm lucky that you know, I got the resources to then build out what is now Idea Space, you know, what is now Kubo and obviously kudos to the team now led by Kat, right, in order to continue this journey. But yeah, that's that's kind of how the story went, right? And then the other part is that, again, I asked again question to the MVP and said, what should I do, right? Like, you know, I'm not sure, you know, I'm kind of getting burned out, like I've given so much for the past four years, building out idea space. Like I didn't have any weekend for like four years, right? Because I was like in travel. I was going to like many provinces, other countries, like building out the San Francisco office, like all these things. I was out every weekend. I was like, what should I do? And I got this really interesting offer to work for this hedge fund. It's like, should I stay? Should I go? And then MVP was, you know, I said, you're my mentor. Like you asked me to come home. And he said, Earl, why don't you learn something again, right? It's like your relearn cycle. So he's, he basically told me like every four or five years, you have to relearn. And he said, this is the time for you to learn something, stretch yourself, and, and you'll always come back to the Philippines. I know you, right? Like we'll be here as like first specific PLDT, right? It's still going to be here. Philippines will still be here, but you want to grow. So go out, but always think, when are you going to come back again? And I think that I didn't know, right? When I'm coming back, I was like, yeah, okay, cool. I'm going to do this. And 
because of the past four years, I learned a lot about data, about digital transformation, like obviously financial services. Like I didn't know I was going to do that, but that's got exposed. And now that all led into Plantina, right? So, so yeah, it's, it's interesting. I never knew, right? But that's kind of how it worked. And then obviously Plantina is just another situation where I realized that there's this, the Philippines, there's just so much that we can do, right? Especially in this sector, and and why not, right? And for me, that was also the thing that you know, this is my chance to be a, a first-time founder, like everyone else probably listening that are first-time founders, in a place where I think I can add value. Because I can be like doing this in Africa, right, or doing this in Mexico, but I know that if I do it for the Philippines, there's just this extra kind of love, right, that I have. Every <laughs> yeah, right. So for me, like, yeah, it's basically how do I now use what I've learned in the past four or five years in in literally the heart, the best probably tech companies that's our Wall Street, right? And then yeah. team up with my you know a good friend Kevin who was in Google's machine learning side, and then do something, right? Do something for our country, right? And I think that's kind of how it all shook up. And uh, yeah, I mean, a lot of people are scary, right? Like, why would you do this? Why would you come back home? You're already somewhere else, but you know, at some point the country will call you, right? And hopefully you answer the call because we just need the smartest people to like try to make an impact in the Philippines, right? And, and I hope in any small shape or form, right? If you mentor someone, fund a scholarship, do something like fund the school, fund the church, like anything, as long as like you heed the call of the country, I, I think that's that's probably like the most noble thing that you can do, right? Like even in a small way, for, you know, help help your cousin to go to college. Like all these things are very important for us as Filipinos because being in the U.S. and abroad, like I realized one thing, which is a bit sad, right? Like it's only us uh, as Filipinos that really take care of the Philippines a century from now, decades from now, right? So we have to think of the Philippines as not a place we live, but a place we leave, but at some point we do something and come back home either virtually or physically. Hello there, Shinky Tan here, motivational speaker, wealth coach, best-selling author, and now host of Chink Positive Podcast, a podcast that aims to help you to become wealthy and debt-free by teaching you on how to save, budget, get out of debt, and invest. Powered by Podcast Network Asia. Available on wherever you get your podcasts. See you there. What a great story because, I mean, I'm very inspired by listening to you here right now. There are many people who felt the same way. I mean, like when I did interview Don last week, who was already yeah. in Canada, had a good job, but said, I got to come home because there's something bigger. And I, I really appreciate that. I hope that people listening also to this podcast are able to appreciate where you're coming from. I have here Dennis Velasco, very interesting. Dennis of Prosper now. I don't know if you know yeah, Prosper Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. Now, which is funny. Can you, can you post a comment of uh, Dennis over here, Nathan? It says, plenty na prosper na kuha lang ng mga Pinoy yung mga <laughs> mga pangalan ninyo, di ba? Pilipina, prosper na, Akudin. I mean, that's really the way it goes. And then it's also providing his own expertise coming from the States. Actually, he's technically a Philam who came back over here and, and, and built and, and helped build a prosper. And I mean, more people like you who, who think that, you know, that it's not actually, it's not a one-way trip over there. It can be, a, you know, a trip that you, where you make multiple trips back and forth to, to, help, to see how you, can, how you can build the country over here. I mean, that's, that's, how, that's how I would think of it because 
I mean, to my mind, you're there right now because it's it's the most accessible way to be. But if Plantina grows, you might have to come back over here and, and run things from here if you're able to talk to your wife properly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think the key is that you know we want to be there uh, after the pandemic to grow this and then obviously to grow into many shapes or forms, right? Like maybe it's different products, different geographies, right? So the key as well is how do we then, what I call is, can we build a true Filipino tech multinational, right? Yeah. It's something that I always think about, right? I think, so Jojo Flores gave this challenge, I think, four, five years ago. In one of the talks that he did in the DOST, he said, did the Philippines actually produce a, a multinational before? And I was like, oh, yeah, I guess it's San Miguel and stuff, you know, that, that's actually found, that's founded by founders. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure. I, I couldn't, none of us could answer the question, right? So hopefully at some point in the future, Filipinos don't have to leave a Filipino-founded company in order to go to different places, right? It's kind of my dream as well. Into my mind, as you were saying that, no, for me, there's one person I think who might be able to bring a Filipino tech company global. And for me, that might be Multisys by David Almirol, which also is owned 45% right now by MVP. They were actually now in Brunei and some other countries as well. Mm-hmm. Also, also a guest of mine uh, previously. No? Mm. And, and having said all this one, no, I think the other instructive thing about this, and I'm glad Dennis is over there. I love Dennis's comment over here. The Philippines is the best, best place for tech opportunities uh, hands down, I think we, I think we can all agree to that one over yep. here. You had a chance also in idea space. I mean, in retrospect, you were able to see the idea space companies that were that were coming up the ladder. Uh, you're also able to look. I mean, now with even bigger picture for the emerging type of uh, startups in the Philippines, and you've seen what's happening in the states as well. What do you see would have been are on track to be the more successful? Uh, startup companies, at least in the DNA-wise, not necessarily. Of course, you can talk about the industry that they're in no? or what problems yeah, yeah, they're yeah, trying of to course, solve. Of course. But what do you see more as the common denominators among Philippine tech startups or Filipino companies trying to solve problems? What do you think are the, have you seen as the common denominators that will make them successful or that have made them successful? Yeah, I think the key is to always think of, you know, what are the big problems that the Philippines has that actually other countries have as well? Because it's easy for us to copy, right? Like, oh, this happened in the U.S., especially the more developed countries, right? Like, this is the U.S., and then how do we just localize it and copy the exact thing? I think one thing that we in the Philippines, and Filipinos in particular, have is, you know, the understanding that, like, business is hard. Mm -hmm. So what does that mean? So let's say in many different industries, it could be agriculture, it could be retail, it could be med tech, right? And how do we just build companies that are more resilient than companies that are even born, let's say, in other places where it's not as difficult, right? And I think that, uh, coupled with a very balanced, global-minded founder set, I, I think is the key to success, right? And, and and I think why? Because, you know, if you have a, 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 a founding team and basically like team members and, you're, you know, the people in the startup that have this huge empathy for the, the difficulties of both the consumer and the businesses and how to build a business in emerging markets, then you can outwit, outscale, out hustle other people that may not have that that empathy, right? So and and I thought about this, like, oh wow, like can we scale? So some investor told us, like, you know what, this problem that you have in the Philippines also exists in other parts, even of the US. I was like, wow, this is strange. It's like, yeah, there's a lot of people that don't have access to credit even in developed markets. 
right? Oh. Some people are talking to me from Latin America. This is the exact problem we also have. Other people are talking about from Africa. So I was like, wow, like that's what we need to double down on in the Philippines, right? It's like that's right. not just have like the U.S. copycat in the Philippines, right? Like we have to think of what's uniquely Filipino emerging market, tough, hard problems that we want to solve because this is our problem to solve. And then let other countries say, hey, we solved this. We cracked this. Yeah. We have a team that is Filipino, but we're globally minded, right? And we are open to these possibilities. I think that is one, to be honest, that is what I've seen successful founders yeah. have, right? Um, which they don't have to be in Silicon Valley, whatnot. Like I think this is uniquely ours, right? Yes, right. I mean, if, if you don't mind, I bring back the example of Acudine. If, if you see what Acudine's problem was that, you know, the basic problem was that they were trying to uh, find ways to discount. Let's say you get a big check from a company, yeah. from a multinational, but you could not discount it because 90 days to pay. So you find people <laughs> who, 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 can, who can liquefy the check for you. Yep, I mean, yep, that's yep. basically a problem which they saw here in the Philippines, but they were able to reapply that to Myanmar of all places at that time. Mm, I mean, and that's mm. really how you, how you sort of look at it, that you look at issues that are developing country specific in nature, because more often than not, you will find other developing countries have got the same problem, right? I mean, that's what Grab was initially at the start. They found common commonalities among us. And if you were to contrast say what people like Rocket used to do before, like Rocket, this Rocket Internet, they used to copy, okay, let me copy a model from Europe or the States and just bring them to Asia. What made us different from them? What makes it different from them? I guess what we're trying to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the the key. So I think again, Rocket, right? I mean, there, there's there's it's it's a portfolio, right? So some properties did well, some properties did do well, but obviously you have two good ones. I mean, a lot of good ones, right? You know, that's right, that's right. Number one, you know, Food Panda, right? Uh, all these other things, right? Yeah, I think that the difference that, that we have to think about is like, you know, how do we solve kind of our unique challenges and problems and localize it for like the customer and kind of what their needs are, right? So I think these are the things and I think Rocket's also good at it. But I think for us, uh, as, as we have to reflect like, because once you, once you copy a model from somewhere else and bring it to mm-hmm. one country, then you're locked in that country, right? Like how can you go to another country? I guess you copy it also from another place. But imagine if you have something unique, like IP that's quite unique, mm-hmm. an approach that's quite unique, a team that has built it from the ground up that's quite unique. Then you can say to other countries, this is what I learned in the Philippines, building for emerging markets, building for Filipinos. Why don't I bring it to your country, which has the same kind of you know social, economic demographics as us and and yeah this is something that we are super surprised once this uh, you know global article basically ran, ran out there's so many people from everywhere in the world it's like yeah this is exactly our problem as well it's like oh wow that's interesting right so so yeah i think that's how we have to think it's like yeah. how do we use our f- unique philippine experience not as a challenge but actually as an opportunity to scale our, our ideas right exactly that, that that and that's the way to think that's what i often tell people when i mentor about them you know, if, if foreigners look at our... When, when we often look at the country, it's more like saying, and daming problema dito. Yeah. But there are foreigners looking at the Philippines saying, there are so many problems in the Philippines. I want to go there and solve it because I'm going to make money. Diba? I mean, I mean exactly. that's the way that... That's how entrepreneurs uh, think about doing think about doing business. Diba? Exactly, exactly. And an entrepreneur... Again, I want to discuss. Entrepreneurship is difficult. Like, leaving the Philippines is, is pro- sometimes the easiest option, right? I don't want to say, like, that's, like, the, the way to do is, like, to come back to the Philippines and do what, also what I've done and what other people have done. But I think the key really here is, like, how do we contribute to the economy no matter where we are? And that's how we're going to build, like, a strong Philippines. And at some point, right, in your life, maybe... 
maybe again the call will be heeded, right? Like you know, come back home or, or do something, or or maybe you know, we've seen a lot of second generation Philippine Americans, like you know, Kumu and others, right? Yeah. Like Dennis, right, to come back home, right? Yeah. Maybe home is not for you, but maybe it's for your children. So always keep that Philippine fire alive, right? Because you never know what what would happen. It's a lado opportunity. I mean, imagine that. We're the twelfth largest country in the world for population, right? And yeah. even with that, and and uh, the, the next, you know, what 20, 30, 40, 50 million to rise up to the middle class, like the next what ten years? Where where else can you do that? And you have the home. We have the home court advantage being Filipino. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> I, I, let me tell you. I mean, if you think about it, how Roland. I mean, we also, I also had Roland on the show. Roland Ross of Kumu. I mean, how he had to pivot it. He had to be here to understand how he was able to pivot it because the first model didn't work, but the second model of the share of the sort of sharing of, of videos in a safe space was what, what really grew the concept. And he had to be here to solve that problem. And now he is bringing it abroad because basically it's through our expatriate, our diaspora. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That's helping bring it abroad. It's like, it's basically the Jollibee. It's like the Jollibee strategy. <laughs> but you're just applying it to tech, right? And, yeah. and, and social yeah. media. I let, wait, sorry, I love that Dennis is listening to us. He says, says over here, I can walk 10 steps in the Philippines and find 20 problems that technology can solve but hasn't yet. And that, that's exactly that's exactly the kind of mindset we, we need over here in the Philippines. Now, Earl, I wish we had a lot more time and this conversation could go on for hours. I'm sure of that <laughs> between me and you. But yeah. here's one more now. Um, let's talk really now. Uh, I want to I wanna start wrapping up things by talking about opportunities because, you know, I know that Plantina and the fintech industry in general and the f- financial inclusion problems, pain points that we have over here, they are a lot. And I know that you were mm. just addressing one of them here right now. Now, let's just say that you had the chance to address other things that maybe as Plantina coming across some ideas, oh, you know, that's exciting, but I'm already doing Plantina. I, I can't, uh, uh, def- yeah, you know. Yeah put my attention to all these different things. What are these other things that you're seeing emerging as opportunities also in the fintech and fin inclusion space that you think that can still be addressed right now here in the Philippines? I know there's a lot and fintech seems to be growing the fastest. Our unicorns might come out of the fintech industry like, like yours as well. And uh, they're saying the first big fintech unicorn might be even Gcash, right? So, mm-hmm. but what are you seeing as the other opportunities emerging for fintech and financial inclusion in the Philippines that, that is not yet being addressed? Yeah, I think there's there's probably three areas that I would love to see, right? Like one is about the notion of what I call is financial literacy education, right? I think that's one thing. How do we continuously educate people on what financial service means, right? Like, you know, I, I always get worried when someone says, I'm going to bet my entire life savings into like, let's say crypto, right? Which is great, right? But then how do you think about it as a portfolio versus just like, you know, so my friend told me that this is a good investment and I'm going to invest, which is like kind of scary, right? I think that one, uh, the, the, the financial uh, education side, I think is very important, right? The other one is how do we then apply these fintech use cases to like what I call is the, the bigger industries in the Philippines, like agriculture, right, mm-hmm. uh, et cetera, right? Because imagine if we can unlock, because now it's like, oh, we're doing it for end consumers, but imagine that if you can put fintech into like agriculture, right? Into fisheries, right? Imagine Fantastic. what we can unleash, yeah. right? Like this is like a huge opportunity, right? You know, something that I keep on reflecting on. And then the last one in, in the fintech side is, you know, how do we just have, you know, the, the mindset of both credit, but also the notion of like, how do we help people secure their future 
that they understand, right? Like maybe it's investments, insurance, and then how do we have like a, a very digital, direct digital way and a, and a cheaper way in order for us to access not just the local market, but the global markets, right? And I hope that that happens in the future for us in the Philippines. But in general, I would love the disruption and technology to go to like agriculture, education, healthcare, aqua and fisheries. I think these are the industries which will you know, feed the Philippines, right, in the next century. And I think that's where I think hopefully a lot of other entrepreneurs will double down on either it's a fintech play or direct play to to help these industries, right? Really, really great. You're spotting at this left and right. They should be paying you right now. We should be monetizing this podcast right now as, as people as people listen to what you're trying to say. And before we close off now, I mean, I'm glad Dennis is here and there's some other startup people also listening uh, right now. No? As we close out, what are a couple of tips now for the people who are going in now to get, let's say, maybe their first pre-seed round or even Series A? What do you wish that you knew coming in that you know now that maybe you could Ooh. give advice to these people coming in? Oh, yeah. Thanks. Yeah, definitely. A lot of scary moments, a lot of areas, right? So I'll maybe have practical advice because I don't want to give like the kind of foo-foo advice, right? Yep, yep. But the practical advice, number one, you already heard, right? I think building a startup is not just your own personal journey. It's a journey of your entire ecosystem. It's the entire ecosystem of your family in particular, uh, your friends, etc. right? So make sure that you align yourself inside and the people outside, right? That matter to you the most. That's first one, right? Because without that, you're pretty much almost 50% done, right? The second one that I would say is that be practical with regards to your own personal financial situation, right? Like you can start a company, but then if you don't, if you don't have your own personal financial situation at least figured out, you won't be able to focus on, on your company anyway, right? So if you save money, like me, like I saved every time I told my wife, like we have to save a little bit just in case I start a company, right? Like think about that, you know, all the time, right? At least the brief, but the brief for us, I might open my own company, okay? For years, for years. Oh my gosh. So I'm not going to Disneyland this year. We're going to help save for my own company, okay? So so yeah, I mean, this is a process, right? So again, if if you're distracted by like not eating, because like, oh my gosh, I don't, I have zero in my bank account, which is fine, right? But I think just prepare yourself financially, regardless of what's your burn rate, like do that modeling of like, can I survive like, three months or six months with whatever I save on my own budget. And then you can at least think, oh, I have six months to do this without thinking it's fine. That's another practical advice. And the last advice is that you and your co-founder have to be mission aligned, regardless if sometimes your personality is different or whatnot. But in the end of the day, like we had this questionnaire of like, five to seven questions of like, why we're going to start this company individually. And then we did it blindly and then came together and say yeah these are the things that we you know why we did it and what are the big things will happen in our life what are the things that like i don't like and it's kind of like dating right it's like founder dating and even early team dating so as long as all of you guys like are pointing toward the same north star that's the biggest thing but have the tough conversations early not later or else you know it's always kind of tricky so yeah those are like practical advice Family, your ecosystem, your personal financial runway, in the end, your founder relationship. These are the biggest things, to be honest. It's the foundation of the company. Without it, you're you're pretty, you know, I, I hope that you you all consider this as very important advice as you start out your companies. 
Well, thanks so much, Earl. That's really great practical advice for many people listening here right now, and even for myself. I mean, even if you're not if you're running a tech startup or not a tech startup, for my own company, I, as you know, I host and I, I, I speak, yeah. <laughs> and I have to make sure that there's different. I mean, just for me, there, there are different income streams and cash flows because when you start your own business, you can't also be purely reliant on that one because, especially during times like these, I mean, yeah, the, oh well, you know, it's you who, as the owner, you sacrifice first, right? As exactly. the founder, you sacrifice exactly. first your employees get if times are tough make sure that employees are okay and you find your own way but that's really the job of the entrepreneur again thanks so much for joining us Earl for those who want to find out more about Plantina how can they find out more about Plantina um, if they want to join Plantina from the Philippines right now that you've got your new got your fresh new funding maybe there's some people who want to come on board yeah yeah two things two plugs right like obviously number one is if you have an Android phone for now and iOS in the future uh, if you have either friends or yourself or your family that wants kind of to build up your credit uh, over time through 7-Eleven and Smart for now and obviously others in the future. Buy now, pay later with Plantina at plantina.com uh, or in the Google Play Store. We actually have two promos now, right? So one is with Smart. So your first repayment, <laughs> they'll give you a 5 peso bonus, right? The, if you have an on-time repayment and 7-Eleven too has a 5% bonus. So Effectively, the service fee is almost free, subsidized by our partners. So please download it. I think it will help a lot of people. And then the the, the second one is, again, we have a fresh amount of funding. So we're definitely looking. I think we're going to expand. We have like probably 20 plus roles going to be open over the next month or two. Now we have 10 actually right now. So if you think that you fit the bill, feel free to contact us uh, at plantina.com slash careers. But yeah. Uh, exciting times. And and I thank you, RJ, for having me in this podcast. Always exciting to share stories with you. Thanks again, man. It's always good to reconnect with you. And you know, between you and I, we share a common prayer. And I think that's why uh, our prayer helps us. For me, it helps us get through this thing. And the prayer is, I will continue, oh my God, to do all my actions for the love of you. Thank you so much. <laughs> Earl, thanks so much for joining us here on the show. Again, this has been the RJ Ledesma podcast. I, and if all of you, if you've been enjoying my podcast here so far and you're learning a lot from it, please subscribe and invite more friends to listen to the RJ Ledesma podcast. You can find us on Spotify. You can also catch us on the Apple podcast as well. We'll see you guys again next Tuesday. Again, guys, thanks so much. Enjoy the rest of your week. Thanks, guys. Have a good night. Thank you. The views and opinions expressed by the podcast creators, hosts, and guests do not necessarily reflect the official policy and position of Podcast Network Asia. Any content provided by the people on the podcast are of their own opinion and are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone or anything. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.